0: about publishing and writing, and to highlight independent bookstores. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place.
1: Hi everyone, it's Wednesday night, and that means it's time for Friends and Fiction. Welcome to our show. We've got so much to look forward to tonight. I am Mary Kay Andrews. I'm your host tonight.
2: I'm Kristen Harmel. I am Patty Callahan Henry. <laughs> I am Christy Woodson Harvey. And
1: that was my husband you just heard pouring me some
2: <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. Can yeah. he stop <laughs> by over here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't think he can make it to Birmingham. All right, so this is Friends and Fiction. Five New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories who support indie bookstores. Tonight, you'll figure out why I need more wine, because (laughs) our guest is Karen Slaughter. (laughs) We're going to talk about her new book, False Witness, which was released earlier this year, which, of course, was an instant New York Times bestseller. Um, And in our continuing support, I still can't say that word, Continuing continuing support. (laughs) of indie bookstores tonight our bookstore of the week is foxtail Books shop located right here uh, near me in atlanta georgia it's actually in woodstock and we're going to be telling you about that in a little bit and also am i talking about caroline's cakes tonight Looks like it. <laughs> I think I am. I'm talk- I don't even have any break right now. It's so sad. OK, Friends in Fiction has partnered with Caroline's Cakes for the Take a Bite Out of Summer campaign, which runs through the end of this month, which is coming up. And it culminates in a grand prize. Um, awarded just in time for Labor Day weekend, one lucky winner will receive a Caroline's Cakes tote bag stuffed with totally good swag. From Caroline's and Friends and Fictions, 10 books. That's 10 mm. books. That's crazy. Ladies,
0: that's awesome. Yeah, I know.
1: It's from each of us, plus another book of each host author's choice and Caroline's Cake Bites in the winner's flavor of choice. So enter tonight for a chance to win. Also, tonight, uh, we do have some exciting news because Patty has something to show us.
2: Hey. Yeah. Y'all. My publishing house has designed and made the most gorgeous trailer for Once Upon a Wardrobe. And I want everyone here, before I even put it on social media, I want everyone here to see it first. Very I cool. swooned when I saw it. It was yeah. like seeing George and Meg's walk off the page. So are you ready? Yeah. yeah.
3: All right. Show it, Alan. Where do you think Narnia came from? I simply must find out. Discover how the world of a boy in failing health and his logic-driven sister are changed in Once Upon a Wardrobe. From the best-selling author of Becoming Mrs. Lewis comes another beautiful story inspired by C.S. Lewis. George wants to find out where Narnia came from. His big sister Megs will do everything in her power to answer her younger brother's question. The gift she thought she was giving to her brother, the story behind Narnia, turns out to be his gift to her instead. Hope. You've read the story set in Narnia. Now enjoy the story behind the stories. Once Upon a Wardrobe by Patti Callahan on sale October
2: 19th. That was great. It was Yay. like a movie trailer. <laughs> I know. I'm When I first saw it, um, anyway, there's so much to tell you about this book, and it's out in seven weeks. I can't wow. believe that we're finally coming up on it, but I think for now that trailer tells you everything you need to get started. But in working, I have one more thing I want to tell you, because in working on this book, I also worked with Joy Davidman's son, you know, C.S. Lewis's stepson, Douglas Gresham. I know. And he read the book and he steered me when I got off course. And he's a beautiful supporter of the story. And y'all, he has agreed to do a virtual and exclusive The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe book club. Yes, he's going to join us for a Zoom book club and he said he would answer questions he's agreed to walk through the wardrobe with us so I love that. if you pre-order the book from anywhere all you can do you can attend this book club we will be live on sunday afternoon september 19th with douglas and with david downing who is also a narnia expert but douglas will tell us stories about living with c.s lewis he will answer questions and he will tell us the hilarious story about the first time he met the man he calls Jack. And he thought he would be a knight from Narnia instead of the common man he was living in a house <laughs> in the woods. Oh gosh. Yes. So you can find all the information on my website and on social media. And Kristen, I saw your blurb up there. I know, that oh, was so That was, was like, great, I loved that. I know, but also <laughs> you have some book news this week.
4: I do. And I just have to say, I'm so excited about your book and about, uh, the awesome opportunity to virtually meet CS Lewis's steps. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. Like what oh, a, what a once in a lifetime opportunity for anybody who's even a little bit interested in Narnia. I mean, it's just, yeah. uh, it's legendary. It's amazing. But yeah. Um, I wanted to just say that my first ever mass market paperback is out. So that's that little like nine 99, um, that $9.99 size, um, that you can find in like drugstores or wherever. And it's actually, it's the winemaker's wife, which was my 2019 novel. Um, And, uh, but it came out in paperback the week everything shut down. So this book totally missed its chance in normal paperback. It came out March 17th, 2020. It was like, everything was canceled. The book didn't make it to shelves, all that. So this is like, it's second chance. It's everywhere. Everywhere you can find mass market paperbacks, Kroger, Walmart, Sam's, the airport, the drugstore. Anywhere you usually pick up these kind of books, so it's a cheap opportunity to pick up the Winemaker's Wife out this week.
1: <laughs> oh, please don't use the word cheap.
4: I'm a, I'm just a cheap hussy for this book. Bu-
1: no, we, we call that, we call that budget. It's budget. <laughs> it's I think budget they're so cute. Book. I love them. I love I little match. I like market. it too.
4: I know mm. it fits in my purse, which is nice. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I yeah. know. And so, you know, every week we partner with Parade Magazine Online. We stream from their Facebook page and we have an original essay in their online magazine. This week, Christy wrote about the joy of buying school supplies. And you can find that essay linked on our Facebook page and in our Instagram bio. But meanwhile, Christy, could you tell us about your shopping exposition? Yes, I can.
5: Um, While I'm taking this off, because I'm reading that it's making a scratching sound, I'm so sorry. And I wasn't supposed to have it on anyway, which is why I was laughing when we came on. Um, But yes, this week, is that better? This week, I wrote um, about what I think should be a national holiday, which is um, back-to-school shopping. It is one of Mm -hmm. my favorite things in the entire world. I have loved it from the time I was little. I don't know that Will loves it as much as I do, but like he pretends for me, which I think is like really kind um, that he, he's like, Yay! and really, I think he's like, I would rather be swimming or, you know, whatever, but he pretends and we get all the things. And um, so I read a little bit about that um, this week. And it was just super, super fun, and so I wanted to ask you guys tonight really quickly. I think one of the reasons that I like back to school shopping is because it just feels like a fresh start. Yeah. Um, and so, are there any um, like rituals or times of year? Is there anything that happens in your life that feels like a fresh start to you?
4: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know what? I think it's, I, I think I make a conscious effort to try to make a new start on my birthday every year. Like I kind of say uh-huh. that, you know, yeah. th- this is, this is a new opportunity. And like, I kind of try to think about things I feel like I've been doing wrong or mm-hmm. weight I've been carrying on my shoulders or like mm-hmm anger I've been carrying that I shouldn't and I kind of mm-hmm. try to let it go with the previous year oh, I and like I that. also I want to say that I really liked about your essay Christy um that it wasn't just a fresh start for Will it was a fresh start for you also oh, the the, okay. the school uh, school shopping I liked how you tied that in thank you
2: thank you for me I just buying school supplies always felt so hopeful mm-hmm. right yeah. like maybe this time I'll get it right Maybe this time I'll stay organized. It's like buying, I buy a new notebook for every book I write, right? Yeah. And so when I do that, I think this time, maybe I'll get it right. Yep. I haven't done it yet, but maybe I will. <laughs> you well, you know,
1: right. yeah. Well, you know, for me, school supplies, you know, I have grandchildren now in school and their mom buys their school supplies. But for me, school supplies equals office supplies. Yeah. Definitely. And so every time I venture into a store this time of year, I load up my cart with my favorite black and white composition books and my fine tip felt pens. They have to be that. black. Do you guys <laughs> agree that we can only write in black or, or are you okay with other? No, colors? I, I write a lot in blue. Oh. I know. I
5: I like, I like other colors. I like pink and purple. And, of course
4: you do.
2: Right? <laughs> I really do orange. You probably have oh. sparkly pens or something. No. Like, uh, no, they have to be felt
5: tip. I'm I'm with you. Like, I'm a real, right now, Sharpie pens are kind of my.
4: my. Oh, I love tip. Sharpie pens. Yep. Yep. Sharpie
5: well, like pens,
1: the- we would love to be sponsored by <laughs> Okay, that was not whoring yourself out at all, Christy. <laughs> not at all. Always be closing. Always be closing. <laughs> and you know, the other thing I like to buy is an office calendar because every year I tell myself, this is the year I'm going to get organized. This is the yeah. year I'll make it happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah. maybe in a little when Karen comes on, maybe we'll ask her if she likes office supplies. Mm-hmm. God knows what she likes. <laughs>
2: I do want to know, though.
1: Know. I know. We'll ask her that. Okay. So now let's talk about our incredible guest, Karen Slaughter, who's cooling her heels in the green room, even as we yep. speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she is the New York Times bestselling author of 21 novels, including Pretty Girls, The Good Daughter of Pieces of Her, and the Grant County and Will Trent books
4: her novels have been published in 120 countries. Wow. With more than 35 million copies sold worldwide. Karen was nominated for a prestigious Edgar Award for her novel, Cop Town. Another of her standalone novels, Pieces of Her, is in development with Netflix. Karen Very is jealous. also the
5: founder I know, of the right? Save the Libraries Project, which is a nonprofit. It works to support libraries and has raised more than $300,000 for the, is it Decab County Library Foundation? It's, Am I going to yep, say that right? right. Okay. Yep,
2: yep. That's right. So Karen lives in Atlanta and her new book, False Witness, Shippers, It's so terrifying and good. <laughs> Mary Kay, we don't know what you're doing, but... <laughs> <laughs> Karen, it's cracking me up.
0: Okay. Karen,
2: Karen. Karen's new book, False Witness, came out in July. It follows Lee Collier, a defense attorney at a prominent law firm in Atlanta, as secrets from her past threatened to catch up with her and ruin the perfect. New life that she no a perfect life is always the beginning of the end right yeah. you know, you're in trouble when yeah. your life yeah. gets to when, be your life is, when your life is going the way you want it there's something around the corner <laughs> but the perfect life she has built for herself and her daughter Karen I, we can't wait to see you
0: <laughs> oh oh Hello.
2: what What is even
1: happening here? (laughs) Welcome, Karen. I just, I need to explain to you all that I turned my camera off because I poured a whole glass of wine on my judge's barrister's wig, which cost $12. So that happened. Karen, welcome. Thank you. We, We are a little bit afraid that you're here, but in light of your new book, False Witness, I thought we would play a little game I call... False witness. Okay. Or in simpler terms, liar, liar, pants on fire. All right. So
6: go go ahead, Judge Winehead. Uh, <laughs>
1: excuse me, I'm in charge of this court. Now, by the power invested in me by the sovereign state of Friends and Fiction, we intend to put you on the hot seat mm-hmm. or witness stand and question you about your checkered past. Now, I'm going to be the judge, of course, because I'm judgy like that. Kristen, Christy and Patty will be your jury and they will determine whether or not you are a liar, liar. And just to make things a little more complicated and edgy, because (laughs) things are edgy. My wig is
2: not. But we're the pirate. Yeah, Yeah, we're the pirate jury, right. We have appointed,
1: I've appointed a special prosecutor for this cross-examination, Alan. Will you please bring in our district attorney?: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I
7: good hands. I was not, Lisa. I was not told that I had to wear a hat. Sorry, I, Lisa. That no one really told cool. me anything either.: <laughs> I don't have a hat. We There's don't need one the here. Prosecutor.
5: You oh. need to be serious, so it's good that you okay. don't have one. Yeah, right. That,
2: and, and so that, that is, is so why, bad. It's itching. Ugh.
1: Yeah, okay. It takes a special personality to stand up to someone like Karen. So we invited <laughs> totally impartial New York Times bestselling thriller writer Lisa Unger to join us again tonight. The last time <laughs> Lisa, Lisa was here, hi guys. Hi. Last time we was here, we talked about her novel Confessions on the Seven Forty Five. But tonight, it's Karen's turn to take the stand. Lisa, please proceed.
7: Okay. Hi,
6: Karen. Hello, special prosecutrix. Yes.
7: Okay, okay, i ready. Miss Slaughter, first off, the burning question of the night is is that your real name? I mean, isn't it a little bit too perfect that somebody who writes books that are often, you know, somewhat grisly, somewhat murdery, would have the last name Slaughter? Um, just a minute. Let me refer to my notes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, Liar.
1: Liar. Whoa. Liar. <laughs>
7: What? what? Wow. I'm allowed for the timing. Okay. <laughs>
1: you can't Uh-oh. handle the truth. <laughs> wait. Oh wait! No, no, you're yeah, you're yeah. stepping all over our lines. Just <laughs> wait. Um.
7: Okay. Isn't it true
1: that during Miss Slaughter,
7: uh, Miss Slaughter. Isn't it true that during college you worked at Disney World as the operator engineer engineer for the Pirates of the Caribbean experience ride is is that true? <laughs> Did you do that? Let me look at my calendar. <laughs> <laughs> On those dates I
6: was dropping out of college my lawyer has advised me not to admit Evening regarding <laughs> the death that occurred on that day.
5: <laughs> the pirate community takes serious offense to that. <laughs> <laughs> is there well, a verdict?
7: offensive. Is there a verdict delivered on that? Is there? Uh, or do I we are going? Gonna,
1: we'll table that for now. Okay. I can I can get, get the woke pirates?
7: Go. Go back. <laughs> um let's talk about your miss slaughter let's talk about your past involvement in a criminal operation working as an alleged exterminator for an alleged drug ring Mm. did you ever in fact kill a single bug as a part of that job
6: no no there wasn't even exterminating fluid in the (laughs) (laughs) it was water and I know that because I tasted it
1: there. That explains <laughs> That's exactly lot.
7: what I was going to ask. How did high. you know this water? it water? <laughs> All
1: right. Well, I I don't he- hearing no objections, um, Madam District Attorney. I'll let you proceed. Okay. My wig. The crooked.
7: slaughter. There have uh, also been allegations that you run a cat rescue operate, operation out of the slaughterhouse your sprawling mansion in a fenced in-town compound, which neighbors have come to refer to as the litter box. Is that true? I refuse
6: to answer on the grounds that my cats have all declared themselves as sovereign citizens and do not (laughs) acknowledge the authority of this court. How can this court...
1: This parlay court has the authority. Yeah. Parlay, parlay, isn't
2: that piracy? <laughs> parlay, parlay.
7: parlay. That that's
2: piracy. you're a pirate, pirate. that's piracy. Okay. Yeah.
7: Mm-hmm. Okay, Miss Slaughter. Back to your criminal past. Do you now, or have you ever, illegally operated a forklift without a commercial driver's license? Okay. Wait, is the judge drinking on the job? Yeah, What's happening here? here? Uh, yeah. i <laughs> don't have a hat. I also don't have a drink.
1: So, well, Lisa, that right, was, I was
7: ill prepared for this. Event. That was
1: short. That was that was your own like short. Judgment, That's I a didn't judgment call. <laughs>
7: yeah. You're We're right. Down. You're right. You're right. That's
1: a personal problem.
7: <laughs> no, it's true. Meg okay. says
2: our whole courtroom is out of order.
7: <laughs> I don't feel like Karen ever answers the question. He hasn't. She did not.
2: He didn't. <laughs>
6: Um, well, you see the pallet needed to be moved
7: mm. and
6: I was willing to get on the forklift and figure it out.
7: Mm-hmm. That's what you
6: do. So you like heavy equipment. Is it's, yes. If you, if you have never operated heavy equipment before, but something needs to be moved and mm-hmm. a forklift is there, it's what any red blooded American would do. And if you don't believe in that, <laughs> you don't believe in God. Or the Constitution.
7: <laughs> Amen.
2: I mean, you can't argue with that. I mean, I have to say, as a jury, I, I, I'm just going to say I I agree.
7: I'm just going to okay. say
2: our yes. test. Ar, that
0: that
7: nice one. Nice one. Miss Slaughter, um, one last question. Is it true that you've written a part loosely based on your own life in the Netflix series, Pieces of Her? That will be portrayed by Dakota Fanning.
6: Um, I need to consult with my attorney before I answer that. Excuse me one moment, please. (laughs) 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 I'd like to... um, Invoke my Fourth Amendment right to search and seizure. Uh, so, Kathy, would you please come and search and seizure me?
0: <laughs> um,
7: Karen, I yes. want the truth. You can't handle the truth. There you go. Me <laughs> done it. Order
1: in the court. Order in the court. Jury, what say you about this defendant's testimony?
2: Liar. Liar. Fiction she writer. A- Liar.
1: I
7: feel like that graphic
1: was already created. The the
5: citizens (laughs) add some credibility, I actually have to say. All right, y'all.
1: Oh, that. that, that, Now the wig is soaked with Chardonnay. That's not good. (laughs) Okay, everybody. Lisa, thank you so much. I know there were storms going on down there in St. Pete and all the things. And Lisa was, I mean, uh, Karen was probably putting some hoodoo (laughs) on you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just want to tell folks that we are all looking forward to your new book, uh, which will be out October fifth, "The Last Girl Ghosted." Oh, can't I can't wait to oh, see I it. There it that. is. That is the that is a great stunning cover. cover. I gotta say. Awesome. Anyway, thanks so much for coming on tonight.
7: Thanks, thanks for and having me. And we'll see. Hope saw. to see you soon. Good to yeah. see you.
1: Sorry. Okay, now my hair looks great. Kristen and I are like kind
5: of
2: just.
5: Content with our pirate hat
2: situation. I was going to say, do I just texted? Do I need to put my pirate hat on?
1: Um no, I, you I'm, do. Yeah. You do you boo. You do you. Okay. Yeah. Now that the fun and games, well, are sort of over, let's let's get serious. Karen, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, can we get you to give us the the elevator pitch for False Witness?
6: Um. Well, you know, I feel like people have already bought it, so I don't have to really pitch it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, us it's, it's about
6: trauma it's about trauma uh something really bad happens and then we catch up with uh, the people this bad thing happened to 20 years later and then another bad thing happens and they're like ah oh, it's is the bad thing again
4: <laughs> okay that's what you want to tell us. <laughs> All right. So, so to get a little bit more in depth about the bad thing, I, I know that the two sisters in the novel are survivors of sexual abuse, which you portray pretty graphically in the novel. Can you talk a little bit about why this is important to you to approach so honestly and head on in your writing? Well, first, I love your chili. Um, <laughs> but
1: uh, that's Hormel, not Harmel. Oh, <laughs>
4: Oh, my God, I totally didn't. I, like, I oh, am I'm like, <laughs> okay. I'm lost. Wouldn't it be awesome if I were the heir to the chili fortune? Wouldn't, wouldn't be here? That's
6: what kind of not hat?
2: I, you, no, you I'm wouldn't. I'm a privage from Fred. Uh, um, you know, so, you so, know
6: so, 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 so I don't write graphically about the sexual abuse. I write about the fallout from it. I guess if I'm going to talk about sexual abuse, I should take this off. Um, you know, I made a decision a long time ago with my first book that I'm good, I was going to write realistically about violence against women because yep. mm. it's not something that I was seeing as a reader unless it was from a man's perspective. And the man's perspective was always if this, you know, if a woman is raped or assaulted, the magic potion to heal her is for a really good guy to make love to her and yeah. everything's fine. Yeah. And that's really not how it works. No. And I bring a personal perspective to violence against women because when I was growing up, my grandmother was being uh, violently abused by my grandfather. Oh, wow. And you know, like good all good southern girls, you know, our family would go to church and then we go to my grandma's for Sunday dinner and sometimes my grandmother would have a black eye or a oh cut lip or a broken bone. And my uncles would tease her about being clumsy. And as oh, I got older, no. I thought nobody's that clumsy. My grandfather's beating the hell out of her and they're making light of it because it's really horrible and they don't know what else to do. Yeah. And so oh. I thought oh. looking at that, us making light of it or not acknowledging it only protected my grandfather. It never, ever helped yeah. my grandmother. So I decided in my books to write about it for what it is. Um, yeah. And and it, it, as I continued writing, it became more important because I would have women say to me, you know, I experienced violence. I was never able to articulate what it was right for people yeah. to understand because that's the part that fades to black or, yep. you know, it, it's it's made titillating somehow or sexualized in a really gross way. And I yeah. wanted to show it for what it is. So you understand it's not sexy. It's not something any sane person would wish upon themselves. It's not bondage and S It's not rough sex. It's, it's violence. And yeah. so that's why I chose to write about it. And, and also just being really conscious. These are real people that this happens yeah. to every minute of the day, every minute of the day, this kind of crime happens. And, um, I know Kathy's, you know, much older than me, but maybe some of you guys remember the Long Island Lolita story with Amy Fisher. This story, the part that takes place in the past is uh, like three or four years on from that. And Amy Fisher was a teenage girl who was having uh, sex with a guy in his, I think he was in his late thirties, Joey Buttafuoco, Mm -hmm. which is statutory rape. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then eventually he, he sex trafficked her. And, you know, she did a horrible thing. She tried to kill. She wanted to murder this man's wife. But when this all came out, it was sort of weird how she stopped being a girl. And she was a woman. And it really, and it's Long Island Lolita in that really disgusting sense where, you know, oh, this poor guy, he has no control. He was seduced by her. And, you know, it's just this kind of disgusting sexualization of young girls. I mean, Amy Fisher's a a white girl, but particularly young black girls or girls Mm -hmm. of color, this happens to a lot where they get really sexualized at a young age. And I don't know if you guys have talked to like a a 13, 14, 16-year-old girl lately. They're really stupid. You know, (laughs) they're not emotionally developed. They don't understand relationships. They don't understand... Power dynamics, and so that's what I wanted to talk a little about is that whole Nabokov. Oh, you know, I'm just a poor guy. You know, you seduce me is bullshit. It's yeah, bullshit, right. and we need to remember that when we hear these stories uh, that you know these are girls. They're not women. It's not sex. It's rape. It's yeah, abuse. Right.
4: Yeah. yeah. Thank, thank you for putting words to that. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Wow, Karen, that's yeah, that's powerful. I have yeah. chills thinking about it, especially since um it can get romanticized, mm-hmm. which is even worse than excusing it is romanticizing it.
0: Oh so, my God. So yeah. yeah.
2: So I want to talk a little bit about your writing process and how it differed for you because you wrote this book during the pandemic. So I know you're a homebody anyway, but Was it different for you writing during the pandemic? And is it just me? It felt like this one was closer to your the real life Atlanta that you live in than some of your other Yeah.
6: It it is. And you know, I Kathy, you remember when you were driving to St. Simon and we were talking and you're like, Oh, I finished my book early for the first time. And I was like, Well, fuck you. because it was really hard. I thought it would yeah. be, I mean, did you guys think, wow, okay, we're we're not traveling, we're not doing events, mm-hmm. it's going to be so much easier to write. It but wasn't. just like the sheer horror at the number of people dying mm. yep. no, or who are sick and who have long COVID or who lost yes. their jobs or their businesses or yeah. all of that was so stressful. And then this weird politicization of everything, virus don't care, you know, no. it's like, Don't care if you're a communist or you're, uh, you know, Egyptian or whatever, doesn't care. Um, And so it was just so hard to focus on writing. Um, But and, and for the first time in my life, I was late. I've always delivered on time. I mean, I'm very, very... Ah, uh, conscientious about that because I know that if, and you guys know this, if you don't do your job, you're screwing over so many people in your publishing yeah. house yeah, and yeah. they're like, oh, that's okay. But it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, jacketing and, and, you know, and I'm really conscious because my first edition is always in the Netherlands that I'm screwing over my Dutch translator, who's a wonderful woman you know, by pushing her schedule because she has other things to do other than wait for me to finish this freaking book. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I got to the point where I said to my editor, you know, I see why some authors who I love just deliver crap books. And I'm not going to do that. I would rather not write a book this year, this particularly with this book, because I really love the characters and story. Mm -hmm. I I was like, I'm not going to deliver a bad book. I'm just not going to do it. And so they gave me a little extra time Honestly, I think they could like print it two weeks before it prints. It's just a lie. They need that long. Um, yeah. But so uh, I got it. I got it done. But it was a, it was really difficult to write for a lot of reasons. But, you know, one it's a, a very emotional book. A lot of the suspense yeah. comes from the emotion of the characters. Yeah. And that's very hard for me. To write, because I get so immersed in their lives and their feelings and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's really draining for me. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm really proud it, it came out that way, but also very angry at Kathy that she
1: beat her deadline. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, um, didn't you have family members who were sick? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, my sister got
6: covid Oh, wow. It was so new that oh. when she went to the hospital, they literally like put her in a room and they pushed a, a rolling table toward her that had a thermometer on it and the blood pressure cuff. And they're like, put these on. <laughs> they don't want to go near wow. her. Um, and she ended up going home because they were so freaked out. But wow. she had yeah. 10 days just on the floor. Oh, sick. Gosh. Yeah. And it was very scary. Um, and of course, you know, no one could go help her. Because yeah. they were they were scared, of, especially me. I'm such a delicate flower, and also right. I'm the youngest, so it's not really my job to take care of. Yeah, that.
5: everyone takes care of you. That's yeah, what life
6: exactly. is about. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's like nature. Um, yeah. Then my dad had some health problems, and right? I know that you had,
1: you had, you were taking <laughs> care of family members, and all I was doing was sitting up and writing in bed.
6: Yeah, yeah, that's true. And drinking
1: and yelling at us and we yelling at writing. us, right? <laughs> yelling, yeah. your, le- yelling at them, like. Mm -hmm.
2: shaming Uh, Shaming. shaming. Did you write this morning? She would text us. Mm -hmm. And if we didn't, but I felt Karen, it was harder to write Mm -hmm. even though there was more space. So that's what was fascinating was, and, and I started and stopped so many things Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I think I'll write about this. No, I think I'll write about this. No, I think I'll write about this. But when, once I did figure out what to write, then then it was like this still point in the middle of the chaos, yeah, which is um, but but this is closer to your real life in Atlanta, isn't it? This book. Here. I
6: think, well, it's not in a part of town I live. It's more like um, the ghetto area where Kathy is.
1: OK. <laughs> OK. Well, there were some, some parts that were closer to where you and I live. I don't want to get too specific, yeah. but I will tell you, I did a book club at Ansley Golf Club last night. And one of your fans was there and uh, she was asking me about she was telling me how much she loved your book. And I said, well, watch tonight. And um, she was saying, uh, asking about COVID. And I said, well, Karen will be on the show tonight. And I said, and by the way, if I'm not mistaken, one of the bodies in that book is found in the lake in the Ansley Golf Club. Isn't that right?
6: No, Brookhaven Golf Club.
1: Brookhaven. Is a
6: Brookhaven, Brookhaven yeah. yes. Way to do a close read,
1: Kathy. Um, <laughs> I just, someplace I can't afford to live, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, once weird. she spilled the Chardonnay on her wig, it all went downhill. That's <laughs> right.
7: <It's>, that's right.
6: <laughs> you know, it's weird because all we have a lot of golf clubs in Atlanta, like Cherokee and Druid Hills and Ansley and Brookhaven, and they all have like these really distinct personalities. And so I was talking to a, 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 a person who's a big golfer and has played at all these clubs. And he's like, Oh yeah, that's where the douchebags are. This is definitely where your guy would live. And so it's gonna his name is um Kevin. So it's his fault if you really love that club. Um, but that's a that's like a crazy neighborhood too, because it's Justin Bieber lived there and you know, a lot of rap people live there and hip hop right by yeah. these Miffy's and buffies. So yeah. it's, it's like a crazy encapsulation of what Atlanta is, yeah. you know, yeah. which is basically a, a city where if you have the money, you belong, right? That's always been the story of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. 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 So, so to put Lee and Callie in a part of Atlanta, which I made up, it, I call it Lake Point, but it's kind of like an amalgamation of Lakewood and um, um, Riverdale. But I thought, you know, those were rough areas when I was a kid and like real people live there. My sister has a lot of friends who live there now. And it's like, I don't want to really trash this part of town. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's more like, I mean, they totally, uh, Stewart Avenue, that kind of area. They changed the name of Stewart Avenue out after the, or before the Olympics, because it had such a bad reputation. Um, so, you know, that's the area of town that I was thinking of
1: okay so now the two sisters in false witness are understandably pretty tough characters and for large portions of false witness they're they're not very likable i mean we learn well hang on we learn early on that um they are they have they've, you know, they've perpetrated a pretty gruesome crime. And it it takes a lot of book. It takes a lot of the plot until I thought to myself, okay, I I get this. So what I want to ask Karen, that's a long way of asking is how, how important is it to you that your protagonist right from the get-go be likable or relatable?
6: Well, it's not a driving point for me. Um, I think that you should be interested in them, and you know want to know what they're going to do next and what's going to happen to them. Right? I mean, that's really that's that's some Flannery O'Connor shit there. The mystery of character, right? Yeah. That's the question that pulls you through the story: is what is this person going to do?
3: Mm. And so, for
6: uh, for me, I think you rely on that. There's a big switch in the very, the prologue, the opening of the book that Mm -hmm. should should shock people unless they know me really, really well. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I framed it that way because I wanted you as a reader to sort of relate to this person in a way. Mm -hmm. And then when you catch up with her 20 years later to understand how she got there. Right. I mean, that that's the thing for me, especially given COVID, We're all living in trauma right now. It's true. And I remember we would go to, um, to um, like lunch or something at the Howard Johnson's with this crazy aunt of mine, like a great, great aunt. And she had survived the depression. And whenever we would leave, she would put all the sweet and low in her purse Mm -hmm. and any bread on the table. Cause Mm -hmm. you know, she's like the depression really affected her. Mm -hmm even all those decades later. And I'm like, I wonder if like when we're going to go with our uh, great, great grandkids or whatever, are we going to go to the bathroom and take all the toilet paper?
1: Yeah. Hand sanitizer. Right.
7: How's this going to be
1: with us? I'm going to be hoarding that hand sanitizer. Someone tried to
5: shake my hand today and I had the most like appalling physical, like diving in the opposite direction reaction. And I was like, Okay, that was like a little overblown, but I'm like, who would shake my hand?
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you know where it's been. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, but you know, that. so Lee and Callie experienced a really horrible trauma and they had different reactions to it. One of them like went the whole type A, full on, law school, always hustling. Yeah. And the other one just spiraled into an addiction. And so I... I wanted to show, you know, we, we all write about kind of bad things happening to people yeah. Yeah. and, you know, usually by the end of the story, if they're not dead, they're doing okay. But I want to talk about the fact that trauma lingers. I mean, we know all kinds of scientific studies about trauma and early childhood trauma. You can have as an adult, uh, a predisposition toward depression, heart disease, diabetes, suicidal ideation, you know, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, all these things just from childhood trauma. So, you know, I wanted to explore that through these two characters.
2: When you're talking about that, sorry, I was just to say when you were talking about that, Karen, it makes me think of that book. It's called um, The Body Keeps the Score. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking Mm -hmm. about your your characters, like their body kept the score and then they acted out on that. I just think it's yeah. interesting. Sorry, Kathy. Go ahead, Marie Kay.
1: No, I was. I was just thinking that the two sisters are so their their lives are so bound together, and there's a there's a plot twist. Karen, I did not see coming. I love that. I did not see coming when um, Lee and Walter were living in Chicago. I don't want to give away any more than that, but that. <laughs> Totally <laughs> twisted my head all the way around. So um, we've got we've got some live questions. Me so um, who you guys want to ask some of uh, uh, yeah. some of the live questions people are 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 typing in? Absolutely. Um,
5: so Diana McGoldrick says, Karen, what do you do to help you when you're deep in your feelings with these tougher parts and pieces of your story?
6: Um, I get on the treadmill. Yeah, I, I I find the treadmill is very useful for that. And I'm I'm like an all or none person. Like if I'm going to eat peas, I will eat peas at every meal, mm-hmm. breakfast included. Which I, I did. like that too. Really I, I had like a summer of peas where I did that. Um, but you know, I'll get on the treadmill for an hour and a half and just like get it all out. Um, and that's that's kind of a reset for me. And, you know, it also helps because I think you need a little distance as a writer yeah. because you're in control of the, the narrative. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, I, I didn't want to fall into like this long, dark night of staring at my navel sort of stuff because the the story, it's a thriller. It needs to keep moving. Yeah, um, but I certainly could have gone in, in that direction if I hadn't been more disciplined. Um, mm-hmm. I think just you know having written so many books, I, I can realize that and stop myself when I feel it happening. Mm-hmm. And you know it doesn't happen with every book because sometimes it, the the thriller part comes from who done it, finding out. You know that that is the important part that drives the narrative. But this is a very emotionally driven book. So I had to be very yeah. careful not to just make it like an open sore kind of thing. You know, yeah, so things yeah. are happening and, you know, the, the chapters move very differently, too, because Lee's chapters are like going like this and Callie's are like this, you know, and that's just their personalities. But it's also a way to kind of slow it down because all the stuff that's happening, you know, you got to have a moment to digest it.
1: Yeah, and there's no doubt in the reader's mind that um, the guy on trial, Mm -hmm. whose name changes, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. There's no doubt that he did it.
6: Right. So, you know, where does the suspense come from? And it has to come from a very emotional place. And that's one of the challenges of writing a book like this. And, you know, I was like, Jesus, this is why uh, Buffalo Bill had Hannibal Lecter right ah. you know cuz you you have to have something driving it so but also i you know when you write about bad people and the focus is on those bad people mm-hmm. i think it's very important not to make them larger than life or <laughs> unbelievable or you know mm-hmm. we all know a guy like the bad guys in this book yeah. you know and hopefully yeah. they're out of our lives now um, but we know if we have, a, we all have a friend who keeps dating this same guy. Um, <laughs> but so I, I just needed them to be really believable and anchored in reality. Cause it was such an important story. And honestly, you know, what terrifies me is a person who is mm-hmm. not abnormal. Who's like seemingly, you know, can appear very normal yes. and confront that. And deep down, they're like a horrible person. I mean, it's, it's Ted Bundy. I mean, was yeah, yeah. one of the young Republicans, and he had a bright future, you know. Even when he got sentenced in Florida, which it makes sense, Florida, right? Gladly Lisa didn't <laughs> hear that. But the judge was like, young man, you had such a promising future, and it's such a sad thing. You could have been a very good lawyer because, of course, he represented himself. And you're thinking, judge. This guy's a serial killer, and you think he just made some bad choices and yeah. he could have otherwise been a really great lawyer and contributed to. I mean, come on. I'd like to see yeah. him say that to some prostitutes, he sentences. You know, young lady, you could have been a doctor. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you had so much opportunity. Um, so, you know, that's the kind of um, person I find really scary is the one who's like at, at your dentist office or. You know the coach at school, or well, I won't say priest because everybody knows what priests do. But you know, it's just like that's what's scary to me, and that's what the, the I had to concentrate on, and that's where the suspense had to come from.
0: Yeah,
2: right. Mm-hmm. Do you want another has- live one? Sure. Um, yeah, we have time. Okay, great. So Susan God says, "How does Karen's parrot?" respond to her book? Wait, no, not her parrot. Oh, her family. How did parents' and family respond to her books and their subject matter? I want to know how her parent responds. <laughs> That's like, a much know. more interesting question, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> okay, I did it on purpose. So Susan Gabb wants to know how your family responds to your books and your subject matter, but I want to know how your parrot responds. So, love
7: please. it, love it, love it, love it. Um. <laughs> You know,
6: they're very supportive, but I, and I think I've told, maybe I've told this story too many times, but like a classic example, when I was growing up, I was in, I got in trouble at school, but not for, you know, breaking things or fighting or not doing work, but just doing strange things. Um, I know, Kathy, you're shocked. And I don't know if you can see my lunchbox back there, um, but it's got a picture Well, since since I moved the parrot, I can
7: move this. This was like my lunchbox
6: at school. And you can't see it very well, but it's like uh, Marilyn Monroe after the autopsy. There you go. um, You know, so I got, so my dad got called to school for that. And then like, you know, those baby on board stickers that were really popular. Mm -hmm. I thought it'd be really funny to put the word dead at the top. Mm -hmm. So it said dead baby on board. And so then my dad got called up to school for that. And, you know, so we're sitting in the principal's office and they're like, you know, hey, Howard. Hey, hey, John, because they were on first name basis. <laughs> um, and uh, he said, you know, this is this is what she did. She's got the sign in his car in the car. And my dad said, well, is it against the school handbook? Principal said no. He said, was well, it like illegal or is there like some rule she broke? no. And my dad said, you know what? She's just weird. <laughs> and yeah. she's always been weird. And we love her for it. And just don't call me up for this shit anymore.
2: What a dad. Um, what so, a dad. He, like he
6: me on the shoulder as he walks out. Um, and so that's like, that's how he feels about this. You know, he doesn't quite get it. He's not a big reader. You know, he, when he was growing up, they were so dirt poor that they would have to catch squirrels to eat. Um, so he just does not think sitting around and reading is a a good use of your time. Um, though he weirdly talks a lot about Willie Nelson's interview in Rolling Stone about uh, marijuana. Um, but he read that, he read that, (laughs) um, but he's super proud of me, you know, and he's always supportive and he says he's proud of me all the time. And my sister's the same way. So, you know, they're very supportive and it reminds me of, um, I can't remember who told me this, maybe Harlan Coben. He said, um, your family will buy your books, but not read it. And your friends will read your books, but not buy them. Oh my <laughs> God. That, that is the biggest truism of any author's career, I think. Oh
1: my gosh.
2: So true. Yeah, That's That's so deep. true.
1: That's deep. Do we have time for one more y'all? All right. All right now we probably need to get to Karen. Yes, ma'am. Um, I'm trying to figure it out. Okay. So I don't think we have time for any more questions, but you, if you will, if you feel like it, Karen, if you're not too busy, you know, slicing and dicing innocent victims, maybe go on to um, the friends and fiction Facebook page. Cause pe- lots of people have questions. I mean, I have questions, um, but every week, one of our favorite parts of the show is asking writers for a for writing advice you know how i avoided the see how i avoided the word tip there so if you have a piece of writing advice you you
2: actually didn't avoid it in the end (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you
6: actually just said you want just the tip kathy is that what you're saying (laughs) okay um just do it i mean that's the hardest part Every single person on earth, like literally on earth, there's someone in Abu Dhabi right now who probably has a fantastic idea for a book, but the idea is not the hard part. The hard part is sitting down every day, banging it out, figuring out how to express the idea through character, through scene, through atmosphere, through setting. That's the hard part. And that's what makes you a writer. Um, So that's just the tip. (laughs) It's a good one.
1: (laughs) Okay, Karen and everybody else stick around because we have one more thing to talk about and to ask to talk to Karen about.
2: But first I want to remind you, we want to remind you all out there to check out our friends and fiction writer's block podcasts. So this show will be a podcast. All our shows are, but we also have an every Friday writer's block podcast this past week. Ron, Christy Woodson Harvey and I talked to Allison Larkin and Tracy Lang that will pop up in two days about origin stories for their books. And then Ron and Mary Kay Andrews talked to Virginia Stan. Actually, that was last week. And this week, Ron and Mary Kay talked to Virginia Stanley and Nancy Pearl about being library rock stars because librarians are rock stars.
5: They are,
6: Absolutely.
2: and Karen okay, knows. I have
6: Nancy Pearl's um, action figure. Actually, she's fantastic. And you do and you? you, know, you? The, and you know yeah.
1: Virginia Stanley quite well too.
6: Absolutely, I made her go tell it. Make her tell you the story about the cat cafe. I made her go to where she was terrified <laughs> of all the cats.
1: That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, that's awesome! awesome. That really All right, great. if you are not hanging out with us yet in the Friends and Fiction official book club, you are missing out. The group, which is separate from us and is run by our friends Lisa Harrison and Brenda Gardner, is now more than eight thousand strong. They're closing in on nine thousand, which is awesome. That's
7: so amazing. on September
4: twentieth, I know it's incredible, and they mm-hmm. do such a great job with it. On September twentieth. Patty will be joining the group to discuss her novel, The Bookshop at Water's End. And we, they have so many more wonderful things in store through the end of the year.
5: Yeah, mm-hmm. And next week, join us right here at 7 p.m. to meet Megan Abbott, author of The Read with Jenna Pick, The Turnout, and Laura Lipman, author of Dream Girl. I just read both of them, and they are fantastic. Then in two weeks, join us as we welcome Darren Kagan and Paula Ferris. If you're ever wondering about our schedule, it's always on the Friends of Fiction website, as well as the sidebar um, of events on our Friends and Fiction Facebook page. And I also just wanted to tell everyone, stick around for our after show because you might notice, everyone, we're all wearing our Friends of Fiction yes, t-shirts, yes, yes. and um, we're going to be talking. <laughs> Karen, we Karen's should present you one. Mine is Eric Smith. Yes. Um, <laughs> But we're going to be talking a little bit about how you can be our friends in fiction merch star of the week. So we'll tell you that in our
2: after show. Love it. And Karen, Karen, stick around. It could be you. It could be. <laughs> you. We're we're gonna we're gonna mail you a t shirt. Yes, yeah. just we are. And yeah, you can okay. even have my pirate hat if you if you want it.
0: She's no, got, a pirate got hat.
5: so Love many it. good props. She doesn't need your pie. Although I do have my. She shoes might sweater. want my prop.
6: She
2: might want it.
6: My, anyway, my pirate hat comes with dreads, so I know oh, oh, that's
2: mine, so much better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mine does not. Mine does not. Yeah. Mine comes comes with two red bows and some lace, So Johnny Depp dreads, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, and y'all know that Kathy, Christy, and I have new books coming out this fall: "The Santa Suit," "Once Upon a Wardrobe," and "Christmas at Peachtree Bluff." And you can be the first to read these books through our kind of amazing winter wonderland subscription you receive the books just as they're released along with loads of exclusive swag including a video that only the people who buy the subscription subscription can get (laughs) this package is available through our friends our great friends at nantucket book partners
4: And Karen, we have one more question for you. In light of your work helping raise funds for public libraries, would you talk a little bit about why this cause is so important to you and why it should be important to every reader out there?
7: Well,
6: it's a good question. I mean, as you know, I really don't like children. Um, I know. I don't. don't, They're so sticky. They're very (laughs) heavy.
1: They don't. They lack in flavor. Yeah.
6: I mean, I've got some great recipes, but like their heads, they can't even like, what is this baby? Come on, learn to hold your head up. Um, But we know a lot of things about infant brains, also tasty. Um, And that is if you have a finite amount of time in your life when you learn language and critical processing and reading and reading fluently, and that's in your childhood. And so if a kid doesn't get a reading ability established, they're never going to be a fluent reader. And so if you look at it just from a financial standpoint, as taxpayers, spending money on a library is one of the cheapest things you can do. Kids Mm -hmm. who read do better in school. If they do better in school, they'll go to college. If they go to college, they'll get better jobs. They'll pay higher taxes. I mean, it's that simple. Every judge I know in the juvenile justice system, every cop I know who works with juveniles says the library is the backbone of our community. And we've really seen this with COVID because, you know, our local libraries here in uh, DeKalb and Fulton County in Atlanta, of course, they're closed because of COVID, but kids don't have computers. You know, they're doing a math class on their parents' phone and then the parent gets a call from work. Math class is over. And so they invested in technology and hotspots because the internet's very expensive. Um, The the internet companies say they help poor people. They don't. It's still expensive. Um, And so they gave hotspots. They gave tablets. They gave iPads. They made it possible for kids, especially in rural areas. You know, 85% of kids in rural areas, their only access to the internet is at their local library. So it's very oh, wow. important that we have these libraries. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm a supporter. Um, also, you know, just long term, maybe these kids will one day be adults and they'll read my books. Um, yeah. That so it's, I mean, it's, I'm playing the long game. It's, it's yeah. selfish. I mean, all that money you've raised is really just hoping it'll... Yeah. I, I know. Why do not I just buy my own books? <laughs>
1: You know, um, I have um, a close family friend who teaches in a school in Southwest Georgia. That's pretty. Uh, it's pretty impoverished, and those kids are driving over to fast food restaurants mm-hmm. if if their parents have a car to get Wi Fi, mm-hmm. so they can either watch classes or or you know do their homework online. Oh, so okay. it's incredibly important. And I really, all joking aside, Karen, I really salute mm-hmm. you for the work you've done with, yeah. Yeah, with supporting Absolutely. public 100%. libraries. Well,
7: you helped, yeah. didn't you? You,
6: you and, uh, Catherine Stockett and I did a We
1: fundraiser. had a good time.
6: Yeah. We had a party. We had a blast. Yeah. We'll
1: do, we'll do that again. Absolutely. I hope. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, it's time for me to say everybody go out and buy Karen's book, False Witness which is a truly riveting book. I read it in about 20 hours and our uh, bookstore of the week this week is Foxtail bookshop. So don't forget Mm -hmm. you can go online and order Karen's book, her backlist. And of course, all of our books, at foxtail bookshop and karen thanks for joining us Thank see you for lunch you, soon i hope yes,
6: yes. we'll get the ladies together we'll
1: and get megan, the ladies together uh, megan
6: Abbott is fantastic you're gonna have a great time with her. i She's know amazing. and laura
1: Lippman is an old old friend of mine so i think we're gonna have a really good time next yeah. week too
6: megan is one of the smartest people i know she just knows so much about everything so i think Ooh. that'll be a lot of fun mm. i doubt she'll have a parrot though
2: no, nope. maybe some ballet or, shoes, but not a pair. Or noses, or glasses. I doubt. And she'll they have just those coming.
6: I mean, it's like, what's she going to pull out next, girl? You don't even
2: know what's <laughs> on my desk. And um, yeah, <laughs> we don't want to. I kind of okay. want to see a screenshot of that desk. I'm just saying.
6: No, you want to see my closet where I have everything labeled and stored.
0: You wow! Do?
6: Oh, oh, hell yeah! This this okay. gets folded up and taken care of, man. This ain't cheap. I ain't buying no twelve
1: dollar pir- pirate hat. <laughs> <That's>
2: <laughs> awesome! Thanks it. again,
1: thanks again, Karen. Karen, for being thanks with for us coming, Hi, Karen. Don't Thank forget, you. you can order Karen's book, Hi, False Witness, at Foxtail Books, and we hope you will support our indie bookstores and, of course, your local library because that's important too.
2: And we'll see you in a minute at the Story Point after show and come back next week, same time, same place, as we welcome special guests, Megan Abbott and Laura Lippmann. Good
1: night. (laughs) Wow, she's great. She's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna have to bring out my wig now.
2: It's very sad. Mm
1: -hmm. She's
2: so (laughs) smart and um well, I don't know. She, I just find her fascinating. So yeah. I'm so glad yeah. she was with us.
1: Oh, wait. Yeah. Um, we're to welcome up you our story point bottle to oh. our after
5: show, Sip and Stay with Story Point, because maybe a good story unfolds over a glass of wine,
1: right? And sometimes good stories spill over On your onto wig. our Wigs. Onto your wig. Your wig. Sometimes you have too much story point before you even start the evening. I did not have too much. I just had a lot going on on my table. I had props. I had my gavel. I had my, you know, $14. Oh, it's, now it's soggy and smells like Chardonnay. I had my wig. You want me to put it back on? Yeah, you should
5: put it back Absolutely, on. Yes. You should put it back on while I talk about our merch. Can we okay, do it, let's do that. Tell us. Okay, so yes. while the credits were rolling, you guys talk about a missed opportunity. We were calling it our Friends and Fiction merch star. It should have been called our Friends and Fiction Fluencer,
7: right? Oh, oh. <laughs> right? <like> it. our our <laughs> Friends and
5: Fiction fashion. Maybe, maybe that's better. Yeah, I like that. Well, at any rate, whatever we call it every week starting next week for four weeks we are going to pick someone um, and share their picture with their friends and fiction merch on the screen so for those of you who don't know we have these amazing t-shirts available yep.
0: hello well, t-shirts
5: hello. yeah <laughs> and super cute friends and fiction wine sippies mm-hmm. yep. and coffee tumblers as well although we're almost out of coffee tumblers so if you want one of those you need to get on that yeah. Um, yeah. But they are available for sale from Oxford Exchange. And so just submit your picture. There's a post under announcements online where you can submit your pictures. Although people have been like emailing them to me and DMing me on Instagram. Like, I don't care how you send your picture.
7: Just send it <laughs> fun. And we're going to yeah. pick
5: some of you. And you're going to win a copy of either my Christmas and Pete's Tree Bluff, mm-hmm. Patty's Once Upon a Wardrobe, or uh, Mary Kay's um, The Santa Suit. I did not ask them. Before I announced that, I just went for it. So hopefully that's
4: okay. Uh, (laughs) We're going to fight with you. I'll throw in for us, Kristen. Yeah, you're not going
1: to fight with you. You're running contests. We're not ever going (laughs) to. Fight with somebody I was like, who's I'm doing. I'm just
5: going to make some decisions and not ask anyone. Then they don't have to yeah. think about it or worry about it. We don't have to talk we about appreciate it. Appreciate that. Could we you just make all
4: the decisions from now on
5: with that? With can, I can was we just, just do that, hoping that
1: you could? Because you always make really good ones. And then I could, we will just be like, yes, great idea. Maybe I maybe you could make decisions on the cover for next summer's book because. Hmm. We're at that point and I'm kind of out of thoughts. I'll send well, some
2: suggestions. <laughs> I was gonna say I think that's pretty much a group decision. So exactly. That's oh, a Okay. Yes. I don't think we get oh. to hand that over to Christy. I think yeah, okay. that's more of a yeah mm-hmm. group.
1: Okay. My publisher will be interested in hearing your feedback.
2: Okay.
5: Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure, sure they're waiting. With, I'm, I'm sure they're waiting. Really with, waiting with bated breath. I bated yeah. breath. Yeah. I, yeah.
1: You know, I thought it was interesting tonight when Karen talked about how hard it was for her to finish that book. Yeah. And, um, and
2: how emotionally involved she gets. You know, we think of all these grisly murder mystery type things as maybe it's just plot driven. But she really right. gets into the... Mm-hmm deeper aspects of their, of trauma and their lives. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. And
1: she does a lot of pretty nitty gritty, um, research. She's, um, she's tight with, um, some Georgia Bureau of Investigation agents. I know, um, we didn't get time. we didn't have time to ask this question, but a lot of, a lot of false witness, um, parts of it are very much a courtroom thriller. Yeah. And so I was, I was researching and she talked about one of her good friends, you know, we're all friends with people in our writer communities Mm -hmm. and she's friends with Alifair book, Alifair Burke, Alifair Burke, who writes uh, legal thrillers and of course is James Lee Burke's daughter, but she's a great writer on her own and she's a former prosecutor and uh, went to law school at Stanford, I think. And, um, so she talked about in another interview. She talked about Alifair kind of telling her how to do the legal research in this book because in False Witness uh, Lee, the protagonist, who is a you know a really kick-ass uh, lawyer at a white shoe law firm, she gets basically kind of. Uh, blackmailed into defending this scumbag Mm -hmm. rapist and then of course it turns out there's a connection Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and so she she has she has to do her job ethically her job as a lawyer defending someone who's really indefensible but at the same time she's got this really uh deep trauma suffered Mm -hmm. at the hands of of this person. Wow. So it's
4: powerful.
5: It's
1: kind of interesting. It yeah. In, really the, is. And
5: talk about an we impossible do, choice, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 We all do
1: a lot of research and some of that research, you know, is
2: tougher yeah. than yeah. others. Yeah.
0: Yep. True.
2: Mm-hmm. But I also think it's fascinating because we've talked about it so many times on the show with so many authors, how, you during COVID, it was easier for some people to write their books and harder for others. And just because you're granted a large swath of time doesn't mean that everything got easier. I know it didn't. I mean, it still feels a little bit like that now, like this, this kind of unsteady tremor beneath everything. And to remember that everybody's feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, no. I feel
5: Very Every I was thinking Get earlier it. today how, like, every tiny, insignificant thing just becomes this whole ordeal because you're like, yes. should I do it? Should I not? Yes. Is it worth oh, it? Is it not? Exhausting. Do, we go? do we not? Da, 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 da. I mean, it's just like things that are just so ridiculous. And it's just, we all have to have such extreme decision fatigue because it's just like everything. I know. You know, it's like, yeah. should we go out to lunch? Well, I mean, we're probably okay, but it is one more exposure that I mean it's yes. like yes. Ah! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything. Sandwich. Everything's, a, a, little Everything's yeah. a little bit
2: more exhausting. Everything's a little bit yep. Yeah. And yeah. and when she was talking about that, you know, everybody's in trauma, I was thinking while she was saying it that it's good to remember that. Like everybody's everybody is an inch away. All of us. Um, I was
5: listening to a podcast about that last night and how it was really, really interesting about, you know, how this time has brought up like every single thing from our past and we don't mm-hmm. even realize it, Yep. that it's, you know, any other time we've been afraid before, any other time we've had to face something difficult before. It's like all these things because we've never lived through this. So it's like mm-hmm. our subconscious is pulling back. It's pulling on every single horrible thing we've ever experienced in our yeah. life for like in our lives for a
2: frame of reference because well that's this. what that that's what that book is about that the body yeah. keeps the score yeah and yeah. and he has he has a really good podcast out right now with the new york times with ezra some somebody and it's that's exactly what it's about christy is yeah. it's not what's happening right now it's pinging everything that happened right before
4: well yeah. and, and it's also that reminder that as much control as we think we have over our lives
0: well, we have amen. none. Amen. And
4: and as secure as we think things are in our lives, anything could happen at any moment. I mean, I mean yeah. it's I think that that to me is is the scariest part of this time. It's just that realization yeah. that we all know in the back of our minds, but that realization mm-hmm. being kind of um, driven home again and again, yeah. you know? Cause
5: like, that's the thing we have to forget to be able to really live. Right. We have to be able oh, to forget to the
4: page every day. Yeah. Right? We have
5: yeah. to be that's able to forget the one thing that anything we can, control. can ever happen at any time. Like we have to kind of be able to forget that, to be able to like live our lives, but it's like in our face every second. If, like, you know, I
1: think, I feel like when I was running the newcomer last year, I feel like I wrote most of that book sitting up in bed starting at 7 a.m. Yeah. And just for the first time, there was, I'm not joking when I say there was nothing else to do or nowhere else to go. Yeah. And I just put my head down, and every morning at 7 a.m. or sometimes earlier, you know, I was writing. And maybe that was my escape from the reality that was surrounding me because. I was in my half dark bedroom in my PJs and my only reality was the reality of that world, that fictional world I created. I was Mm -hmm. most years I go away to write, to put myself in that world. But last year I, I put myself in that world, that darkened room. That was my bubble. And, um, but I wasn't writing a, um, a legal thriller with a lot of, yeah, pretty traumatic detail in it. Yeah,
4: but this was must have been a tough year to go that dark. I mean, I know a lot yeah. of her, a lot mm-hmm. of her work is dark, but I mean, that really, I think, required a deep emotional dig. Which this was a tough year to do that. It, it really was because our our emotions were were already on the surface in in a way that was yeah. difficult to deal with. So
2: no, I've said yeah. over and over. Once upon a wardrobe was my touch point every day. It's like the opposite of grisly murder, right?
0: right. It's, it's,
2: but it was the, well, everything else was burning and going crazy that I could return to that again.
5: And I mean, and I will always remember that. I mean, I, you know, we kind of joke about it, but really and truly I wrote the entire wedding veil at 7 a.m. in my bed. And if it hadn't been for you guys, like, I don't know that that would have happened because I mean, I mean, I was homeschooling. I mean, I'm not like everyone was, Kristen was, we all were, but I'm just saying it was that time of like, okay, I'm actually going to do this when if I hadn't done that, there would have been a million excuses to not write that book. And I just, I
4: know those excuses. I'm
5: making them now.
2: I'm making them (laughs) right now.
4: Yeah. Well,
5: you know, we, I mean, we all do. I'm like, you know, I mean, we all, we all do that, but it was really, I think during a time when everything was just so insane, like it just made it that go-to point where we were all like, we weren't together, but we were together every morning and we were all doing it. And there was something really kind of special about that, that I think made it really
1: just work.
2: Yeah. We should have texted her at (laughs) 7am. Yeah. I I shudder
1: to think what she would have texted. (laughs) I know. Right. I know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think, uh, you know, the great thing, what I love about this show is when we talk to different authors, uh we're so fortunate i think so blessed to be able to see um how thoughtful yeah. and how intentional writers yeah. are these writers
2: are yeah with yep. their
1: stories that they put out into the world and that's
2: and all that's the back of- work i think people don't always know whether it's her interviewing the gbi or or you doing your i don't i think People are now more a little more aware of the. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I like the word intention you use, but the mm-hmm. story behind the story and how much work yeah. goes into it—it's not just the typing, right? Yeah. <laughs>
4: right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. True. True.
1: Yeah, I saw. I saw somebody uh, on Twitter, of course, where people get really irate. And they were criticizing a New York Times story. And they said, that's not reporting, that's stenography.
0: <laughs> I
2: like that. I wish it was yeah. that easy, would, right?
1: If yeah. it were that easy. Uh, yeah, only somebody who's never had to report on a breaking story could yeah. call it stenography. But that's a yeah. different story for a different night. Okay, my husband is cooking me something delicious and I can smell it. Ooh, and I'm All mad- right, lucky you.
4: Are you sure that's not just the the wig, the, the nearby right. wig? I'm gonna Start squeeze
1: today. the I'm gonna squeeze the wine, ring it out, Bring the wine out. <laughs> Please of don't that. be that last, desperate. Last of a story yeah, yeah. point. <laughs> Cheers, ladies. Yeah, yeah, story yeah, point. story, yeah, point.
4: story yeah, point. Story point. I just finished while we were talking, but to story point. Absolutely. Okay, I'm
1: gonna text okay. everybody at 7 a.m. to see if you're writing. All right. Okay, do it.
4: All right, guys. all Night. Thanks, Ellen.
0: Thank you for tuning in. Join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And please, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here.
3: Produced by Audovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.